show is presented in part by Bridgestone. We're passionate about making tires you can count on to perform when it matters most. This is Popular Technology Radio, your source for the latest emerging tech and hot internet trends. Now, here's your host. Hey, welcome everyone. It's Popular Technology Radio. I'm Mike Etchart. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are talking tech as we always do. And we're going to actually spend a lot of time on what's going on up at the Game Developers Conference later on in the show. We've got Jessica Condit from Engadget reporting in from there, talking about a lot of stuff, including that big Google announcement, which you might have heard. So if you're a gamer, we're going to certainly cover your world today and talk about uh, a lot of things that are going on up there and what's going on in that industry in general. But, you know, oh boy, I'm using this segment to rant a little. You, you've, you've listened to the show, you might recognize or remember that I'm not a huge fan of AT&T. For a long time, of course, they had my cellular service, and they've basically merged with Time Warner. And they started, I think, the process back in 2016. It kind of really just happened. But they made some interesting news this week. But before I tell you about the news, let's talk about back in 2016 when they announced the merger with Time Warner. It was at the time an $85 billion merger. And of course, at the time, the chairman of AT&T, a guy named Randall Stevenson, said, we intend to give customers unmatched choice, quality, value, and experiences that will define the future of media and communications. Lofty, wordy goals, right? And of course, everybody, everybody, me included, was very skeptical because what usually happens in these mergers is it's good for big companies, but it's not good for us as consumers. And lo and behold, there's been some news this week. Shouldn't surprise anybody, but here we are. And I'm, I'm actually looking at the article from uh, Michael Hiltzik. He writes for the Los Angeles Times in the business section. He is a wonderful observer of things like this. And no surprise, they are raising prices on their Direct TV Now packages. We talked, I guess it was last week, about a lot of these skinny bundles, and Direct TV Now was one that was actually pretty good when it was announced. But lo and behold, now that the merger has closed, they are raising the prices on Direct TV Now. And as Michael says in his article, the only conclusion that can be drawn is that we were suckers, and they basically pulled the wool over our eyes. So the prices for DirecTV now are going up. There used to be, I think it's a $10 increase for its sort of non-satellite online streaming service, and the number of channels in that package are going down. So is this going to be the last time we'll hear about this? I doubt it. And it'll be interesting to see, because I think we've talked about it on the show a little bit, you know, if you're a Netflix streaming customer, and most of us use Netflix and love Netflix, there's going to be competition uh, from, amongst others, AT&T and the new company, which is now called Warner Media. They are going to be having, as expected anyway, a competitor to uh, Netflix, another streaming service, as is Disney. Disney Plus is coming down the pike, but with so few people offering this, more than in the past, but still, these large companies, and I'm going to guess that the prices will continue to go up. So, a lesson for us all. Don't ever believe the hype when these big companies try to merge, and no matter what they say, it is not going to end well for us as customers. It's very, very disappointing to read that, and, and so soon after 
really the books were closed on that merger. There we have it. But go back and check Michael's article out. Michael Hiltzik, he is in the LA Times, and he is writing about the merger and their supposed, you know, all the wonderful things that are going to happen for us as consumers when this merger happens. It happened, and it ain't happening for us. So this is going to be the future moving on. But hey, what are you going to do? I make that payment every month to AT&T, but now that they own Warner Media, as the new company is called, they own DirecTV, they own, of course, AT&T, the cellular service and the landlines. They are one big company, but they also are now in the content business, which they weren't in the past. But on that note, we are going to now going to shift over to games. When we come back, you're listening to Pop Tech Radio. Thanks for joining us. And stick around because we've got a lot of great stuff coming up. Cancer is the number one cause of death by disease for children in the U.S. today. Since the Austin Hatcher Foundation's birth in 2006, it has grown to provide unique programs to help the children and the families affected by pediatric cancer. Support begins at the time of diagnosis and continues throughout survivorship at no cost to families. Lives touched by the foundation continue to rise each day. But we need your help. Donate, volunteer, or partner with the Austin Hatcher Foundation. Learn how you can get involved. Visit HatcherFoundation.org for more information. back, everyone. It is Popular Technology Radio. Mike Etchart, and we have got the groovy gal from Engadget. She is Jessica Condit. She is a senior editor. And Jessica, we are living vicariously through you today because you were up at the Developers Conference in San Francisco, the Game Developers Conference. Are you having a good time? I am, yeah. It's always a fun show. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's been years since I've been to that event. And, you know, and I went to E3 for so many years. And I tend to think of this the same thing, but this is much more sedate and sort of cerebral. It's not a trade show, right? This is kind of a conference where there is exchanging of information and workshops and things like that. It's a little more laid back than, let's say, E3. Yeah, so like E3 is a consumer-focused show. It's for the people that play games. You know, the press conferences and everything are. But Game Developers Conference is actually for the developers. It's for people to learn tricks on how to make games, do the latest technologies from major companies. I mean, that's why... Microsoft is here. That's why Google is here this year as well. And is this new for Google? Have they not kind of been there? Or are they always there kind of checking things out, but it's a little different focus this year for them? Yeah, so this is definitely the biggest presence Google has had at GDC in years. I've been coming, oh God, this has to be my fifth year, maybe sixth. I don't know. It's all a blur. <laughs> it's all but, blur. Uh, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is definitely the biggest presence that Google has had in years and years, yeah. Well, and, and in general, it just seems like all of these things, whatever events they are, regardless if it's a consumer-based thing, whether it's, it's sort of a trade-based thing like this, they all kind of seem to get morphed into these big announcements and kind of platforms from which folks like Google, in this case, you know, want to do this. Is GDC getting a little more crazier than it used to be? You know, I think GDC is a pretty smart place for Google to make its announcement of Stadia, its new game streaming service. The Game Developers Conference is a little more chill than E3. There aren't as many uh, major publications. They can announce it in a place where developers are going to be excited about the possibilities that they're talking about. So there's just a more calm air than something like E3, um, or maybe a little less scrutiny as well, I think. (laughs) Well, that's interesting. Well, let's talk about Stadia. So 
there were lots of rumblings ahead of time that Google was, was going to announce something. Was there much detail to that prior to this? Did people know that this was going to be sort of a cloud-based game platform, or, or was it still kind of, before the announcement, was everybody kind of unclear what it was? Uh, so there were a lot of rumors, of course. Uh, it is tech, <laughs> after all. Yes, indeed. So, uh, yeah, there, we kind of had an idea of what Google was going for. Uh, we knew that streaming was definitely the next move. They had a big um, beta test of its streaming service uh, just like late last year. And I participated in that, and it actually worked very well. So I did the project stream beta test, and that was basically Google testing out Stadia. Interesting. And now they said something, but there's a lot of mystery about this, right? They, they kind of gave the real <laughs> top-level thing, this is what it is, and then we'll get back to you, right? There's, not a, there's a ton of questions, I guess I'm getting at, correct? Mm -hmm. Well, exactly, and that's exactly what I talked about with Phil Harrison yesterday, actually. Um, so Phil Harrison, GM and VP of Google, he's leading the gaming push. He's leading Stadia. He's former Xbox and Sony guy, so he's been around. Mm -hmm. um, but I actually, like, I sat down with him, and the only real questions I had were, how confident are you that the infrastructure for cloud gaming is actually in place? You know, no matter how powerful Google is, they can't control necessarily how fast the Internet is for every home or for every user on the go. Um, so that's my big concern. And he, he was, he was evasive um, and very political. Uh, but, but yeah, they, they do have answers for those things. We'll just see if they work. Sure, exactly. Well, and, and again, there's a number of things that make anything like this challenging. And certainly the back end is that, you know, it's easy to control what's going on on your end. But when you get to my house, boy, it adds an entirely different wrinkle. And people have been talking about this. Other companies have kind of dabbled in this. You know, it, is it time for this? I mean, it just has technology kind of made this the right time to, to launch that? I definitely think Google has the right vision. And Google is, of any company in the world, Google is positioned very well to make something like this happen. They're promising streaming at 4K, 60 frames per second, over existing broadband connections now and mobile connections. That's a really big promise. And I mean, for any company, even Google, that's a really, really big promise. And my concern is that Stadia will launch, it will work, but not as well as Google's saying. It will still be stuttery. It still will maybe not let people play the games they really want to play, how they want to play them. And as impressive as the technology will be, maybe it won't be exactly what Google actually said it would do. And then it will be seen as a failure from there. Well, and that's kind of... That, that's that was my concern. Yeah, and that's my sort of next question. Let's say that happens. Let's say it is a failure. Is that a recoverable failure? Are consumers in the gaming space willing to kind of hang with them as they work that stuff out? Or, or is that like really a catastrophic I failure? I think it would be bad for the image, whatever. But I think gamers especially, the gaming industry is usually a proving ground for new technologies, right? Players are used to testing out I mean, VR before it happens, AI before it really yeah. knows what's going on, like all these things. This is what we do. So I think overall, Google can launch, it can be rocky, and they can recover because the infrastructure is coming. Um, I just don't think it's here this year, which is when Google wants to launch Stadia. Well, on that note, let's take a quick commercial break. We're speaking with Jessica Condit. She is the senior editor at Engadget. She is hanging out at the Game Developers Conference up in San Francisco. We are talking about Stadia and other things. And we've got more with Jessica when we come back.
Limbo has been stopping champions on the track as well as drivers like you and me on the street for over 50 years. Whether it's UV-coated brake discs, low-dust premium ceramic brake pads, or high-temperature brake fluid, BremboStoreUSA.com is the place to go to buy genuine Brembo OE-equivalent replacement brake components. Go to BremboStoreUSA.com to help you achieve that 60-0 braking performance you deserve and expect from Brembo. Brembo, the choice of champions and consumers for over 50 years. We are talking games. We are talking Stadia, the new Google announcement. We've got Jessica Condit. She is the Engadget senior editor, and she is there. She, in fact, was working on the beta. And Jessica, when did you say that rolled out, the, the beta? Was it over the summer? Yeah, so this was actually, uh, I want to say it was late last year, maybe mid last year. But okay. it was around the launch of Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And did you notice, Yeah, you know, our, our producer Cody was talking off air about it, you know, was there, you know, noticeable lag as you were playing these games? Yeah, so so Google recommends um, 25 megabits for Stadia to actually function mm-hmm. for your speed. So um, I have an internet connection of just about that, honestly. It's really not that great. So the game, I was playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey. That's the beta test they rolled out. And it loaded on my 2015 MacBook Air. I played it in the Chrome browser, like playing a AAA game, pretty high quality, in my browser, on an old laptop. It was cool. It played for a while, but it definitely stuttered. I definitely noticed input lag, and my connection even cut out a few times. That said, that was actually a very successful test. I've tried a lot of streaming services over the years, and Project Stream, the beta, was actually the best that I'd ever experienced. And I was really impressed that it worked over my not-so-great internet connection. Yeah, so, and not the so newest it it computer either. No, it, yeah, it was, it was an old laptop, old work laptop. So. Wow. Um, no, it was impressive, but also, I mean, also not perfect. And yeah. Google is kind of promising perfection right now. Right. There's so many different things to ask questions about. So we talked about the back end, you know, the tech side of things. There's also the business model. So the headlines seem to be Netflix for gaming. Do we know what the business model is? Is it subscription? Is it a buy game purchase? Is it something in the middle? Is, is, there, is there answers to these questions? They haven't said. Um, and I, I asked Phil Harrison. He, uh, of course, uh, wouldn't say but, I mean, I assume there's some kind of subscription method in there. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw another layer of games to rent or buy behind that as well. I mean, Google's good at monetization, so they're going to do whatever they can there. <laughs> that is the definite truth. They are very good at monetization. So we don't know what that is. You know, what about, say, an existing game and porting that over to this new platform? Is that going to be a challenge? Do we know? So actually, I think that's the part that Google was excited to talk about, and that might be why they decided to make this announcement at the Game Developers Conference. Mm -hmm. Um, They're basically trying to make this platform as open as possible for developers. They're partnering with companies like Unity and Unreal, the two major game engine companies, and a bunch of other studios they have on board already. They're really making this so developers can make a game and have it on Stadia, which means it's basically available on every platform. That's the real key, the heart of Google's announcement. Once it works, streaming really does turn 
games into a platform agnostic medium. Um, and that's, that's really cool. Potentially, you know, because it's, it's still hard to exactly know. But sure. how does this kind of fit into the ecosystem of games? Is it a replacement for something or does it live with mm-hmm. consoles and with PC games and other things? Is it just going to be another thing or does it kind of take over everything? So there's no reason that Stadia has to replace the entire console market. And it definitely won't, at least not right away. I think we're still going to see a few generations of consoles. I mean, there are still millions of people playing Xbox 360. So consoles are, are going to be around for a little while longer, I think. But if this takes off, if Google can get this to actually work, I mean, Stadia is, I think, the new future, the new ecosystem of selling and playing games. Whether it will re- replace consoles, I mean, 10 years from now, maybe we'll see. Um, but I, I think consoles will be okay for a while. Now, the other thing, anybody who has Netflix, you realize that when Netflix first started out, it was, it was awesome, and they were licensing content. And then they got kind of big enough where content owners were very wary of enabling them to get bigger, and they, they kept raising the, the prices for licensing of content. Then, of course, mm-hmm. they are making their own content now because for that very reason. So, And, and with the rise of these other potential competitors like Disney Plus and the Unnamed, I think AT and T Warner Media product that's coming out. You know, is 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 Google maybe going to face that in this kind of? We don't really know again the, the the tremendous details, but will 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 people be a little wary of licensing products to Google just to you know to you know, keep them in check? You know, what I actually worry about there is how discoverability and curation is going to work on the platform, like for indie developers especially. Nice. Um, how are they going to monetize their content? And how are they going to... I mean, every platform has struggled with curation. Uh, Steam and even the App Store, Google Play, any platform with a bunch of games doesn't really know how to handle you know, showing people new games that they'll actually enjoy or getting quality games out to the forefront and I wonder how this changes the economic model for a lot of smaller developers who will be entering this unknown, maybe subscription model, maybe uh, pay-per-game model. We're not sure. Uh, I mean, Stadia opens up a lot of monetization options in terms of you can send a link to a friend, they can open it and literally have a game in their browser in five seconds. That's what Google is saying. Um, So that's a new way to discover games. Um, and we'll have to figure out what that actually means first. Right, interesting. Uh, we are speaking with Jessica Condit. She, of course, is a senior editor from Engadget. She's up at the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco. we got to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we've got more of Jessica and more of the news from GDC. So stick with us. It's PopTech Radio. Dodge Performance Days, where that new car smell gets replaced by the scent of burned rubber. With Dodge Charger and its available best-in-class 485 horsepower, Dodge Challenger Hellcat Red Eye, with up to 797 horsepower and 707 pound-feet of torque, and the powerful seven-passenger Dodge Durango. Hurry in for great deals now at Dodge Performance Days. Ward's large regular car vehicle segment. Dodge is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC.
And we are back. It's Pop Deck Radio. Mike Etchart with Jessica Condit. She, of course, from Engadget. She's a senior editor up there. And up there means San Francisco, where she is right now. She's at the Game Developers Conference. And we were talking about in the last segment curation, Jessica, which is really interesting. And we were also talking about Netflix because it's been bantered about. And with this is it's Netflix for games. Um, but the gaming industry is so hyper competitive and it's such I mean, everything's a hit-driven business, but nothing like gaming. And, you know, it is completely hit-driven. Is that a challenge for Google rolling this out? That, you know, unlike, let's say, film and television, the back catalog has so much more value in that silo, let's say, than gaming does. Are they going to stumble if they can't get those absolute smash hit games? And again, and then how do they curate non-smashes or catalog stuff? Right. So they're partnering with a lot of studios and they're rolling out a lot of tools that they're hoping developers will gravitate to. So they just kind of naturally build games for Stadia. Like they have this one tool they showed off where you can have a scene of like a person running through a street and you can overlay any art style you want over the entire game, like animation and all, and turn it into Starry Night or or a woodcut style or what just whatever on the fly. I mean, this is crazy cool technology for developers. So Google has a big reach. They definitely can attract developers. What they're trying to do is basically make games work on any platform, which potentially means they can work on any store as well. So people building games for Steam, they're already building games for Stadia, technically, is kind of the idea. Right. Well, and then when you see a new product like this, you know, who's going to get maybe left behind? You know, it does this in the short term impact, let's say Steam, the hub for indie produced games, are they going to maybe kind of get crushed under the tires of Google first in in a potential Google offering like this? I think Valve is fine. Steam is fine. I mean, so Steam has been the leading game store for, I mean, 15 years. It's really been like the only option and it has thousands and thousands of games. It's, It's great, but also terrible because It's hard to find games that you'll actually enjoy sometimes. There are competitors coming out to Steam already. So like the Epic Games Store just launched, and this is the store from the creator of Fortnite, Epic. Um, They also do the Unreal Engine, which is a huge business for them. It's a very uh, powerful game engine. So they have their own game store now. So Valve is already feeling pressure. Um, The mobile market has taken off in ways uh, that I don't think (laughs) many people predicted. So there's already a lot of competition there. The idea is now to bring all these ecosystems together, and that's kind of where Stadia can fill that gap. It's kind of sitting above the industry and saying, we can work with all of these games, come to us. Wow. And are there monetary advantages? Is it going to be a licensing? We, I guess we don't know. Will Google be, be right. paying licensing fees to get those games there, or is it just, here's the tools, put it up if you want? Who knows? So that's the big question. We don't know how developers will make money. We don't know how we'll even pay for the service. But Google does have, along with like the Stadia service, Stadia Games and Entertainment, which is their studio arm. It's their game development uh, part of the business. And that's led by Jade Raymond, who they just announced they hired. Um, and she's pretty incredible. She's the visionary behind Assassin's Creed. Uh, she founded Ubisoft Montreal. She knows what she's doing. That's actually really encouraging. I like seeing her in that role. Again, like Phil Harrison, they brought him in from the games industry. I think they know what partnerships to make, um, so, so they'll be okay there. 
it got a lot of excitement and, and a blast whenever that was 48 hours ago whenever they really f- first announced it now that now that the dust has settled what is the kind of temperature at the game developers conference from developers are they you know over the moon optimistic or are they cautiously optimistic or is everybody kind of waiting and seeing what's the mood yeah so i actually i went to um an id at xbox event so it's indie developer kind of showcase and i asked a handful of developers there what they thought about sadia because it had just been announced and all of them have the same questions we're talking about which is <laughs> basically how will i make money yes <laughs> yeah how like how does this even work they didn't know. So so everyone's figuring it out right now, but yeah, Google's not talking about money right now. Right. And that's really the one conversation that everybody wants to have, isn't it? Let's talk about money for crying. I mean, important. <laughs> yes. You know, and to that, maybe let's just kind of step back for a second. Give us a, a, an overall, how is the games business doing? So the games industry itself is doing just fine, but I think there's a lot of turmoil in the uh, AAA sector, especially right now. There's a lot of talk about unionizing and giving developers collective bargaining rights because there was a lot of talk last year about studios overworking employees and this idea of mandatory crunch where developers work sometimes for months on end, like 80-hour weeks. Yes. Um, Rockstar founder, he bragged about having his team work 100-hour weeks to finish the game. And this kind of set off a, a whole cascade. So, I mean, there's a lot of discussion in the industry about how do we stop laying off entire teams of talented developers right after games release? Because that's kind of the cycle right now. You right. can make a smash game and still get laid off at the end of it just because yeah. that's what happens. And that's the studio system. And you so, kill yourself. So hopefully things like that can improve. Yeah, you, you get laid off after it's been a hit game and you killed yourself in the last whatever it oh, was. exactly. We when I was in the game, you're because, emotionally destroyed. Yeah, we used to have this 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 kind of line, which is when you're developing a game, the first ninety percent of the game takes ninety percent of your resources and time, and then the last ten percent takes the other ninety percent of your resources and time. It's just a slog to get that thing out the door, and it exactly. kills people. All right, on that note, we got to take a quick commercial break. We're coming right back. You're listening to Pop Tech Radio. We are talking with Jessica Condit, and she is from Engadget, up in Developers Conference, and we're coming back with Pop Tech Radio. Have you ever tried to plan a vacation and the hotel costs, airfare, and pet sitter all add up to one big never mind? Well, it's time to embrace the adventure and go RVing instead. GoRVing.com is your one-stop shop for all things RV camping. Browse the different types of RVs, find a rental agent or dealer near you, and compare the costs. Explore more than 16,000 RV parks and campgrounds nationwide, and even plan your menus for the trip. Find out what you've been missing at GoRVing.com. That's GoRVing.com. are back. It's Pop Tech Radio. Mike Etchart talking with Jessica Condit. She is from Engadget. She's a senior editor. She is up in San Francisco at the Game Developers Conference. She is filling our heads with knowledge about what is going on up there. We've been talking about Stadia, the new Google platform. We're also talking about, in the last segment, AAA games. Those are the blockbusters. And Jessica, you know, because I, I don't really know because I've been out for a while, when you're talking about one of these blockbuster AAA games, 
What's the budget these days? Millions, if not billions of dollars. That's really where it is right now uh, wow. for the for the top of the line games. That's including marketing. Um, marketing is a huge portion of AAA budgets. That's the advantage they have over indie developers, really. Right, is that marketing budget. And, and we, in the, in the movie business, the kind of rule of thumb has always been, you know, if you spend $100 million on production on a movie, you're going to spend the same amount on marketing and advertising just to let people know what's out yep. there. So in the world mm-hmm. of games, you are talking bigger budgets than movies, which means bigger marketing budgets yep. and more risk. It's scary when you're writing checks for hundreds of millions of dollars for something that could flop. Now, let's go over to indie land then. Let's talk about indie games. And I know that is near and dear to your heart. Is it equal representation up at the Game Developers Conference with the major studios and the independent folks? There are a ton of indie developers here. It's, I think, more indie developers than AAA just because there are so many indies out there. So they come here to, to you know, learn all the tricks from the big companies, but they're also networking and also you know, making partnerships with these major companies. Um, it's, it's a really cool scene. One of the interesting things that has happened in, let's say, film, and I, and I really come from music, so I'll talk about music, which is, you know, the good news is the barriers have come down, essentially. The tools are dramatically improved for independent artists, whether you're a musician or a filmmaker or a game developer, that you can almost mm-hmm. catch up to these frontline productions. But the bad news is it's so hard to get heard. And, you know, how, how are indie folks doing? I mean, obviously, there's a ton of them, but are they making money and do you see people kind of entering indie games one and done is it challenged of course because there's just so much indie product yeah so as the game development tools themselves become more accessible there are obviously more games out there more people are able to make whatever's in their head actually translate to the screen and it used to be a very specific art form it used to take a lot of dedication training um, and it still absolutely does take a lot of that to make a good game but it's easier than ever to just plug in some ideas for what you have and actually have a game at the end of that. So there are more indie developers than ever, and getting discovered is a constant problem. If you're not like on stage at Microsoft's E3 conference, chances are you're not going to get you know, noticed during something like E3. So Steam has always had like Steam sales, and that's been the way they do it, and Apple has featured apps and things like that. But I don't think anyone has cracked the code for actually having their game reach the right audience right away just because the market is so, so saturated. Yeah, it's tough. It's a definitely a good news, bad news situation. If you have aspirations to be in that business, to be independent, whether you're a filmmaker or a musician or a game developer, it is tough. With what's left of our segment, what else is happening that, that has really got you excited? There must be other news besides Google out of GDC. What's got you fired up? Yeah, so we saw the Oculus Rift S, the new Oculus headset, and that was really cool. Hey, VR is still here, everyone. (laughs) Everyone thought it was going to go away, but it's still around. People are still making better, newer headsets. Uh, There are 10 million estimated headsets out there in the wild. So it's a real market, and that's actually really exciting to see it find its footing and now be able to grow. You know, we've had a lot of kind of bulky and not very comfortable headsets out there. So now VR can hopefully take its foundation as a solid market and really advance from there. Of course, it's been the buzz sort of for the last five years, really. I think in the media, we tend to think of things as whatever new technology is, it's going to be dominant. Is VR maybe not going to take over the world, but it is a viable segment of this world? Maybe there, there will always be VR and non-VR games? Is that kind of what's shaking out or does it still have room to grow? 
I'm not sure how the final market looks for VR or AR. I do think AR is the stronger product of those two. Mm-hmm. And if it were a battle between VR and AR, AR would win. But I think VR is good for certain applications. It makes sense for certain immersive experiences. So I don't think it has to disappear at all. I just think once we figure out what VR can do, uh, how we want it to operate, the technology catches up, I think we can have a real industry there for a while, yeah. Whenever we have sort of technological advances like this, there's always kind of the demonstrations of ideas. But it, it takes a long time for the content creators from the artistic side to really kind of blend those in in a seamless way, in an appropriate way, into the content itself. Are we there with VR and games where it's integrated in a very natural and necessary way as opposed to kind of gimmicky way? Yeah, actually, I think so. I play plenty of VR games now where, I mean, I forget I'm wearing a headset. I'm just lost in the experience. It's not gimmicky. It's just immersive and awesome. It's hard to explain that to people who haven't actually put on a VR headset and had a good experience. So, yeah, there are plenty of people that have tried VR, but maybe it was one of the early projects that, you know, was kind of wonky and didn't really do much. Now, though, I think it's a good time to jump back in and try something new. There's a ton of horror experiences that I personally love. I love being scared. Um, but, yeah, there's also movies. I mean, there's, there's a ton of really cool stuff. Awesome. All right. Anything else that's come out of GDC that is kind of really revolutionary or worth mentioning in terms of big announcements? Oh, it's just that the developers are getting together once again and moving the industry forward. I mean, that's really why I'm here. I love seeing all the indie developers getting together and, you know, figuring out better ways to make their games and making connections. There's no big product announcements that I can think of, but Nintendo's here, Microsoft is here, Google's here. It's a really cool vibe. And then one last question. What is the game you are playing right now that you can't stop playing? Overwatch forever. Uh, Okay. (laughs) I know. But my reward for finishing GDC is going to be Devil May Cry 5. Oh, okay. Excellent. All yeah. right. I'm writing that down. That's one to watch. That Excellent. Well, Jessica, oh, yeah. we cannot thank you enough for joining us on this show. It's so great to have you. Um, can we check in with you again, maybe as we get closer to E3, which is not that far over the horizon? Oh, don't say that. But yes, of course you can. <laughs> My back still hurts from the time that I worked in the games business and working that trade show. It's more intense than CES, which is saying something to those who visited both. <laughs> it is crazy. So, Jessica Condit, she is at Engadget. She is a senior editor. Jessica, I will let you get back to the show, and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Pop Tech Radio. We are coming right back. said give it a bit no one ever said give it less we say give it everything the world wasn't built by half measures by the half-hearted so when we set out to build our boldest suv ever we didn't hold anything back introducing the all-new telluride kia give it everything expected spring 2019 in limited quantities
and welcome back, everyone. It is Pop Tech Radio. Mike Edshard heading into our last segment. I'm going to bring in Cody Castleberry, my producer and game aficionado. Cody, are you excited about Stadia? There's not all that much information, really, but are you excited about it nonetheless? It is. It is pretty interesting. I could say I am. I'm pretty excited about the idea of the future. <laughs> you it's, know, uh, it's, it's, it's so many questions. There's just a lot of questions, a lot of unanswered things. There's just the inherent latency that something like that's going to have. Is that ever going to be diminished uh, to the point where you wouldn't feel like you needed the console at your house or your computer at your house to not have that latency when playing games online or anything? Or just even because they have to send you the video, you have to respond to the video. It has to send yeah. back to, to that so that your character action on screen is in time with your hands. And off, offline we were talking about, you know, so we are about, well, you're considerably younger than I am. And I live in a semi-rural area. And I think I was amongst the first people to get DSL about the year 2000. We're almost two decades into broadband internet connections. And we've really come a long ways from those early days to now. You know, when we think about we're mm-hmm. back then, even with DSL, you really couldn't stream meaningful video quality at all. And then you could, and now you can do simultaneous high-def stuff. You know, in the house, we're all watching Netflix. We're all watching over-internet content. We've really come a long ways. But like you said, this is an entirely different level of need in terms of all these handshakes back and forth with what's going on in the action of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're watching a video and you have a little bit of latency, you probably won't notice because they'll just assemble the video ahead of time for you so that it just yes. plays. You know, But when you're responding to actions in a game, it has to happen immediately. You know, If you have any of that latency, it could spell death for your character. I mean, Yes, yes. So that is really a big consideration on this. I mean, I think as Jessica pointed out in, when we were talking to her, you know, if there's a group of people that are forgiving – it's probably gamers because they're used to technological challenges. That world is fraught with that potentially from time to time. So they understand if you've been doing any online gaming, any of that stuff, you know that from time to time you're just going to not have a great experience. So folks, I think in that world are a little bit more forgiving, but it is a gigantic challenge for Google. And you know you can only do so much on your end and then you're dependent on the stuff you have no control over from your end to the house. Right, so and all, all that being said... It's a first step, right? So you give it a few years, like she was saying, maybe 10 years, it'll be ironed out and smoothed out. And it's obviously the future. You know, you think about it, why would you pay for a console? Why would you want to buy the hardware when you could just stream it over Google's service? So it's obviously what's coming. Uh, It is. Is it ready now? Yeah. And will it completely take over? You know, it's far, far, far too early. So we'll see what the business model is. And my guess is, I think like Jessica was saying, it's probably going to be a subscription service, you know, especially in a business where there is such gigantic costs. And, you know, if you're Google, you've got all of the server side gigantic costs. So subscription services make sense because it's that constant stream of money coming in to kind of support all of that infrastructure. So my guess is it's going to certainly be that. Um, you know, just from a business side of things, it's it's what everybody likes. But and again, we are going to all have these choices to make. You know, you and I were talking offline about, you know, some of the recent rate increases for Netflix and we've got new products coming in from Disney and from Warner Media that are going to be subscription-based services, something from Apple. So, you know, everybody's trying to get 
15, 12, 11, whatever the number is, bucks out of your pocket each, each month. And that really starts to add up. And you know, you mentioned you're kind of as Netflix prices go up, is it something that you're really getting your value out of? Or do you just kind of walk away from it? So, you know, yet another subscription causes one pause to kind of consider, do I really, really, really need it? If you're a gamer, of course you do. You're gonna probably get rid of Netflix and get potentially Stadia. But it's just another fifteen or twelve or whatever the number is coming out of that pocket. And that really adds up. And as you know, too, internet prices, you know, just for internet connections at your house, they ain't going down. Steadily and they're going never, up. They're really going up. So I'm hoping the new um, 5G thing will kind of come in and that will be, you know, some sort of a, a realistic option for internet, perhaps in the home, some competition. But right now, there's not a lot of competition, unfortunately. So, so we will see where it all ends up. Very interesting. But I'm sure as a gamer, you're kind of excited about it. I'm pretty excited about being able to just play the next generation of video games without having to s- drop $700 on a PlayStation something, <laughs> whatever it would be. Exactly. Um, so that's that's pretty good. Well, on that note, let's wrap it up. Thanks for listening in today to this edition of Popular Technology Radio. We certainly appreciate you giving us the time and, and checking us out. We know you have a lot of options out there. And, of course, we are podcast and available at all the various places, including Apple iTunes, if you want to go back and revisit some of those other episodes. So... Thanks to all the folks listening in today. Thanks to the great stations that carry us across this country and our friends at Radio America for syndicating us out there. So, folks, have a great week, and we will talk to you next time. It's Popular Technology Radio. The big news from Subaru is the all-new three-row Ascent. It's the biggest SUV from Subaru ever. There's room for seven or eight passengers with a choice of second-row captain's chairs or bench seating. It'll tow up to 5,000 pounds. It has the interior space you need for your whole crew. And it gets you where you want to go with the safety of a Subaru, including standard symmetrical all-wheel drive. The all-new three-row Subaru Ascent. Love is now bigger than ever. Maximum towing capacity varies by trim level, and trailer brakes may be required. See your retailer for details.